but the young man saw the kick coming and stepped to one side. He slapped a fist at the bald man, clipping an ear, then drove his other hand at the man's ribs. It was like hitting a hog carcass for all the good it did. Then a dozen hands were mauling and hitting Nathaniel. A fist smacked into his eye, and another bloodied his nose to hurl him back hard against the hotel's wall. His carpet bag was stolen, his books were finally gone, and now a man tore open his coat and ripped his pocketbook free. And Nathaniel tried to stop that theft, but he was overwhelmed and helpless. His nose was bleeding and his eyes swelling. Nathaniel had been thrust against the window bars. His hands were jerked down hard across the bars' spiked tops and tied with rope to the iron cage. He watched as one of his books was kicked into the gutter its spine broken and its pages fluttering free. The crowd tore apart his carpet bag, but found little of value except a razor and two more books, while a small bespectacled man was leafing through the papers in Starbuck's pocketbook. There had been little money there, just four dollars, but Starbuck did not fear the loss of his money. Instead, he feared the discovery of his name, which was written on a dozen letters in the pocketbook. The small man had found one of the letters, which he now opened, read, turned over, then read again. He looked up at Starbuck, then back to the letter, then up at Starbuck yet again. Is your name Starbuck? he asked loudly. Starbuck said nothing. The crowd smelled excitement. A bearded man, red-faced, burly, and even taller than Starbuck, took up the interrogation. You're being asked a question, boy. The red-faced man had taken hold of Starbuck's tie and was twisting it so that the double loop around Starbuck's throat tightened horribly. Is your name Starbuck? He shouted the question, spraying Starbuck's face with spittle laced with drink and tobacco. Yes. There was no point in denying it. And are you any relation? He tightened the grip on Starbuck's neck. Any relation, Cuffy? There was a letter from Starbuck's father in the pocketbook, and the letter must be found soon, and so Starbuck just nodded assent. I'm his son. The man let go of Starbuck's tie and yelped like a stage-red Indian. It's Starbuck's son! He screamed his victory to the mob. We got ourselves Starbuck's son! The Reverend Eliel's eloquence in the cause of Negro liberty had made his name famous not just in America— but wherever Christian men read their journals and prayed to their God, and now, on the day when the news of Fort Sumter's capture had so inspired the South, a mob in Richmond, Virginia, had taken hold of one of the Reverend Eliel Starbuck's sons. In truth, Nathaniel Starbuck detested his father. He wanted nothing more to do with his father ever again, but the crowd could not know that, nor would they have believed Starbuck if he had told them, String him up! A man called. He's a spy! Nigger lover! A handful of ringleaders had emerged from the crowd's anonymity, and those ringleaders now shouted for the crowd to be patient. A commandeered wagon had gone to fetch the roadmender's tar, the crowd was assured, and in the meantime a sack of feathers had been fetched from a mattress factory in nearby Virginia Street. We're going to teach you a lesson, the big bearded man crowed. You Yankees, think you're better than us Southerns. Isn't that what you think? He took a handful of the feathers and scattered them. Oh, hand mighty, are you? Another cheer announced the return of the borrowed wagon, which now bore on its bed a great black steaming vat of tar. Bring on the spire, Sam. Give them good. Show us Starbucks, bastard. 
Men seized Starbuck, released his bonds, and hurried him towards the wagon. The tanner helped them, still striking and kicking at the helpless Starbuck, spitting his hatred and taunting him, anticipating the humiliation of Eliel Starbuck's whelp. Starbuck was pushed hard against the wagon's wheel. Hands reached down from above, grabbed his collar, and heaved up. Men pushed at him, his knee cracked hard against the wagon's side. Then he was sprawling on the wagon bed, where his hand was smeared by a warm patch of spilt tar. Sam Pierce hauled Starbuck upright and displayed his bloody face to the crowd. Here he is, Starbuck's bastard! Fillin' him, Sam! Push him in, Sam! Pierce rammed Starbuck's head over the vat, holding his face just inches from the stinking liquid. Starbuck tried to flinch away as a bubble slowly erupted just beneath his bleeding nose. The tar plopped tiredly back, then Pierce jerked him back upright. Let's have your clothes off, Cuffy. Hands pulled at Starbuck's coat, tearing off its sleeves and ripping it clean off his back. Strip him naked, Sam! A woman screamed excitedly. Give his pa something to preach about. Sam Pierce gave the vat a stir. The tanner was spitting again and again at Starbuck, while a grey-haired man fumbled at Starbuck's waist, loosing the buttons of his pants. Don't you dare piss on me, boy, or I'll leave you nothing to piss with. He pulled the trousers down to Starbuck's knees, provoking a shrill scream of approval from the crowd. And a gunshot sounded, too. The gunshot cracked the still air of the street junction to startle a score of flapping birds up from the roofs of the warehouses that edged the Shoko slip. The crowd turned. Pierce moved to tear at Starbuck's shirt, but a second gunshot sounded hugely loud, echoing off the far houses and causing the crowd to go very still. Touch the boy again, a confident, lazy voice spoke, and you're a dead man. He's a spy! Pierce tried to brazen out the moment. He's my guest. The speaker was mounted on a tall black horse and was wearing a slouch hat, a long grey coat, and high boots. He was carrying a long-barreled revolver, which he now pushed into a holster on his saddle. It was a marvellously insouciant gesture, suggesting he had nothing to fear from this mob. A second horseman followed, leading a riderless horse, the first horseman reined in beside the wagon. He tilted his hat upward with the tip of a riding crop, then stared with incredulity at Starbuck. It's Nate Starbuck, yes? Yes, sir. Starbuck was shivering. You remember me, Nate? We met in New Haven last year. Of course I remember you, sir. Starbuck was shaking, but with relief rather than fear. His rescuer was Washington Faulkner, father of Starbuck's best friend, and the man whose name Starbuck had earlier invoked to save himself from this mob's wrath. You seem to be getting a wrong impression of Virginian hospitality, Washington Faulkner said softly. We're not at war with strangers in our city. Who are you, savages? He's a spy! The tanner tried to restore the crowd's supremacy. Washington Faulkner turned scornfully on the man. And you're a black-assed fool. You're behaving like Yankees, all of you. Northerners might want a mobocracy for a government, but not us. Then, that remonstrance delivered to the shamed crowd, he looked back to Starbuck and introduced his companion, who was a dark-haired man a few years older than Starbuck. This is Ethan Ridley. Ridley was leading the riderless horse, 
which he now urged alongside the wagon bed. Mount up, Nate, Washington Faulkner urged Starbuck. Starbuck stepped off the wagon directly onto the horse's back. He fumbled with his feet for the stirrups, took the reins, and kicked back with his tar-stained shoes, following his rescuers out of the crowd and up Pearl Street. Starbuck was still shaking, and still hardly daring to believe he had escaped the crowd's torment. "'How did you know I was here, sir?' he asked Washington Faulkner. "'I didn't realize it was you, Nate. I just heard that some young fellow claiming to know me was about to be strung up for the crime of being a Yankee, so I thought we should take a look. Might I ask what you're doing here, Nate? Virginia doesn't seem the healthiest place for a Massachusetts man to be running loose.' "'I was looking for you, sir.' I was planning to walk to Faulkner Courthouse. All seventy miles, Nate, Washington Faulkner laughed. Didn't Adam tell you we keep a townhouse? My father was a state senator, so he liked to keep a place in Richmond to hang his hat. Faulkner was an impressive-looking man of middle years and medium height, with a straight back and wide, square shoulders. He had short, fair hair, a thick, square-cut beard, a face that seemed to radiate frankness and kindness, and blue eyes that were crinkled in an expression of amused benignity. "'You're looking a great deal more human, Nate,' Washington Faulkner greeted Starbuck in his study. "'And those clothes more or less fit. Are you feeling better?' "'Much better, thank you, sir.' "'Bath hot enough?' "'Perfect, sir.' "'That eye looks sore. Maybe a poultice before you sleep.' Well, my problem is whether to buy one thousand rifles at twelve bucks each. Why shouldn't we? Ethan Ridley, who had settled Starbuck in...